Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Bell Ringers, Investing.com's very own financial podcast where we dissect the markets. Each week, we bring you three minutes of every hot topic on the agenda. We move on to the next topic. I'm Clement Thibault. With me today here, Senior Analyst at Investing.com, Jesse Cohen. Pleasure as always to be here, my man. And Jesse, what do we have on the plate today? Well, another wild and crazy week in financial markets. Donald Trump unleashed volatility. We'll also talk about Jackson Hole and Fed Chairman uh, Jerome Powell, because that also happened last week. Finally, we'll also look back at the second quarter earnings season, which is all but wrapped up. Uh, and we'll just list a few of the big winners and losers uh, th- throughout the season. Turning our attention to the week ahead, we'll also talk about uh, where we see markets going in the, in the coming days. We'll also have a special segment where we give our own advice on how to deal with the volatility. And finally, we'll also touch on what's in store on the data front uh, with second quarter uh, U.S. GDP on uh, the agenda. And of course, our stocks of the week after all that goodness. So let's get started. We don't need China and frankly, would be better off without him. That was a tweet from Donald Trump this week that spooked markets. Fighting words from the Donald. Fighting words from the Donald. Pretty much ratchet up the rhetoric against China, escalation and the trade war once again. And obviously that has caused the volatility uh, to, to spike. Equities plunged uh, with the NASDAQ down 3% on Friday, one of its worst days uh, of the year. And also we saw some safe haven inflows into treasuries and gold. So pretty much Donald Trump, the disruptor in chief, if we all thought that the Fed chair would cause the volatility, exactly. it was all about the Trump show. Exactly. And, and you know, I, I thought that Friday would be a volatile day, obviously, Jackson Hole. But Jackson Hole is our second segment. <laughs> it's not even, you know, it doesn't even take center stage with everything that's been happening on Twitter. You know, not even G7, it, just Twitter. It, it's, it's wild how the entire buildup, the entire week was anticipation as to what the Fed chair might say, anticipation as to what they might signal. And here comes Friday morning. Donald Trump says, you know what, Fed, hold my beer. Because I'll show you how, it, how you really create some volatility. And, you know, in 280 characters and a couple tweets, boom, you know, the entire world went upside down. And we have to point at the specific timing of the tweets, which was like literally 10 seconds after markets closed on Friday, Donald Trump came out with his news. And I think that tells you kind of everything you need to know about, you know, the Donald Trump movement and how he approaches markets. As far as he's concerned... You know, markets, the precious baby, doesn't want to touch it too much. So he actually waits until the end of the trading day and the trading week to go with bad news. And what was interesting here, what we saw for the first time, I mean, what brought on this whole tweet storm from from Trump was China's announcement that they were retaliating and increasing tariffs. Now, the interesting thing uh, with that announcement was the timing of it. Usually, China would announce these uh, headlines overnight during uh, Beijing uh, business hours. Here on Friday, they timed it 10 minutes before the market opened on Wall Street for maximum impact so, on so the downside. Trump and China all trying to influence the, the U.S. stock market at the moment. It seems as if we're entering a new period of financial war, warfare where a headline, a tweet can cause the algos to either buy or dump stocks. And China are well aware of this, just like the Trump administration is aware of this. But if we're honest... 
Like these are not headlines that we haven't seen before. Absolutely, I absolutely. Mean, every week if, it's a cycle for, of talks with China are going great. Again, oh, I hate China. Two hundred billion tariffs. And, and under normal markets, human traders. I mean, the reactions would be not nearly as severe. But when you have the algo-driven market and robots have taken over, that's all you need to know. The impact just feeds itself and and cascades. So that was、uh, basically last week on Twitter, <laughs> and now we can move on to maybe the real world and to Jackson Hole. So Powell on Friday, you know, signaled that he would be willing to accommodate. Whatever is necessary to accommodate, he didn't say how much stimulus the Fed would provide, so he kept that, you know, under wraps. But what I like the most about Powell's speech is him telling Donald Trump, basically, listen, if you screw it up with trade, I can't clean up after you. I'm not your cleanup crew to lower rates to save you from tariffs. I can't do that. You know, that's 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 an interesting point you bring up because I recall the Fed chairman citing the U.S.-China trade war as the exact reason for why he cut rates in July. I agree. I remember that as well. From the trade war, so so for 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 Powell to sort of pivot away from from that and and be like, well, you know, if the trade war goes bad, it's it's on you,、uh, President Trump.、Uh, so.、Uh, I I really didn't think that the Fed chairman. Listen, I I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And if this is the start of a new era where Powell can independently, you know, we've talked about this a lot. Powell can independently, you know, stay stand his ground against Trump. And if this is the start of something new, I'm I'm all for it because I'm I'm sick and tired. Of you know Powell just accepting the beatdowns, just rolling with the punches. It's time for the Fed chair to roll up his sleeves, do the dirty work. We've talked about how the Fed is the worst communicating Fed that we've maybe ever had. This is a good start. And and really, we saw the first uh, tweet uh, uh, from Donald Trump on Friday was him asking, "Who is the bigger enemy here, the Fed chairman or Xi Jinping?" Do you believe that? That 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 was crazy. Do you that believe was, that? That was the first tweet that really caused the market to 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 kind of take a step back and be like, "Hold on, hold on, hold on. What what's going on here?" And that's when the first leg、like, of selling started to to pick up. And the next tweet came out where Trump said that he will announce、uh, the retaliatory、uh, tariffs after the market closes. That's when more、uh, selling picked up. So, to me,、uh, from for for the Fed chair to really kind of pivot away from from that, and and the daily bashings that he gets from Donald Trump, the 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 bond market demands on, Powell, faster rate man. cuts. Be a man. The stock market demands faster rate cuts, and you know he he really didn't come out and and say we're not going to cut rates, but at the same time he also came out and said we're we're, we're going to monitor and and do what is needed. Listen, I, I remember a time not that long ago where if the Fed chair would act as appropriate, everyone would love that. That would be like really the the three words in the headlines on every major financial it, news outlet. It just goes to show you act how act as appropriate, and he just said that again, and no one cares. But for, for the most part, markets were looking for for the Fed chairman to come flat out and say we're cutting rates in in September. For, I, I think Donald Trump was expecting、uh, Powell to cut rates at Jackson Hole, apparently, because he took that. Really, well, Trump in, in, wanted in QE as well, so so you know let, let's not rely on the word and and thoughts of Donald Trump too but, much. But to me specifically, what I took out, what, what I took away from from Powell's speech on Friday is perhaps a Fed that has not as much appetite as markets think. 
uh, for that for in terms of cutting rates in, in the I months agree. ahead. I agree, and I think I think the fact that there were some dissenting voices in the Fed minutes shows you that it's That's not right. unanimous. We've That's had right. Rosengren and, and George from Kansas City and Boston Powell. both saying that they don't think that we should cut rates. So yeah, it's it's an interesting time for the Fed, but it's completely overshadowed. And that's another thing that Powell has has to deal with. So President Trump, the trade war, and dissenting views amongst his own Fed board members that, you know, some are arguing for 50 basis point rate cuts, some are arguing for not for at nothing. all. Yeah, that's just that really made the week. You know, it, it was a Friday heavy week last week and it was just crazy, but let's move on to something maybe a bit more casual, yeah. right? Earning season Second is wrapping up. So we wanted to take a couple of minutes, three minutes to talk about what that means, you know, who did well, who didn't. And I think that if we look at the tech sector, because I think that this is what really drives the S&P most of the time, so it's hard not to start there. You really had your winners and your losers, you know, on the one hand, your Microsoft and, and Google, which had stellar reports. And on the yeah. other hand, you've had, you know, your Facebooks and your Netflix, which tanked like 10 and 18%. I think pretty much you... Uh, mixed I mean, bag, isn't for, it? For, for, for me, the biggest winner in, in second quarter earnings season was Microsoft, the behemoth, you know, the only company worth more We talked about it. There was nothing wrong with Microsoft's report. It was a beauty of a report. Beauty of a report. And, and staying in the tech sector, perhaps one of the ugliest reports of, of the second quarter earnings season was Netflix, which missed its own subscriber growth numbers by a million subscribers. Yeah, and had negative subscriber growth in the U.S. I think that was even, you know, even worse. Not only Netflix isn't growing anymore, it's shrinking in the U.S. So, so those two really stood out in the tech sector. Uh, I also some some names in the industrial sector popped out, both in terms of how the uh, tariffs are affecting their business and fears of a recession. We saw Caterpillar. Uh, really uh, uh, warn of a slowdown. Deer also pretty much the same the, the same outlook for the full year. Um, so so those were really uh, for for me the biggest losers of the second quarter earnings and season. So overall, I think that we were expecting maybe a rougher earnings season. I think that we were expecting like a contraction well, we, of maybe we were 2%. expecting a recession. Yeah, and, and it's not going there. So I think that this is the first good thing about the U.S. economy that you need to know. Profits were still were maybe less than you know. I mean, it's not it's not firing on all cylinders, but it's not that bad as well. But the thing that really worries me is that even stellar reports from Google and, and Microsoft. You know, Google jumped. I think it was what 10, 12 percent oh, after, after earnings. After that, after it gave that everything back over the past month. Everything. I There's think... not one single dollar left of Google's good report. And you know, as as someone who looks at the fundamentals of companies, I have to say that worries me. I think for the most part, these you know the names that were responsible for a lot of the fast growth uh, are, are are really seeing Slowing that growth down. stall yeah. or slow down completely right now. And Facebook, Apple, Netflix, Google, and you that know, those seems to be affecting have, everyone. Have have been really the names that have suffered uh, the most in terms of the earnings slowdown. Um, just just something really that stood out the retail sector which everybody was expecting doom and gloom produced maybe two of the biggest winners in Walmart and Target, which really had some amazing numbers. And you're talking about a recession. When those two perform as well as they did, I, I, I just don't think all this earning or all this uh, recessions talk is uh, yeah, justified. And, and we'll definitely talk a bit more 
about the retail sectors once we move on to the U.S. data segment, which we'll be talking about uh, consumer confidence and personal spending. So there's a bunch of more retail talk down the road if you're interested today. Okay, so that's, that, that was last week, which was, you know, arguably one of the wildest weeks that we've had this year so far. Well, and, and this comes after the week, uh, the, the, the week on of, top before of wild in week. August. Yeah, August, uh, for, for the most part, has produced, you know, it, it's, it had more big swings in, than any month since the December sell-off. So the question is, okay, this is the last week of August. Does this trend continue of extreme volatility? It seems that way, and and really the the, the fact that we got uh, the, the the Trump tweet after markets closed, markets will have the weekend to kind of di- digest that and react to that. And it's not like anyone's gonna ban t- Trump from Twitter, right? I feel at this point, this is like the only thing that can mitigate volatility is to get this man off Twitter. Or or for the moment, you know, either that or he sends out a tweet. You know, in 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 the afternoon, saying, "Well, I just had a, a surprisingly well conversation with uh, President Xi." Right, and, but, and but that will be those. negated by the tweet so, that will come two days later, where he's imposing more tariffs. So, for, to we're, me, we're, we're 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 definitely expecting a gap down open tomorrow. The the Dow, for all you know, it could open down three hundred points, but. What we see in the pre-market is not necessarily what we see uh, throughout the, 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 the trading day. And really, for the most part, it'll be the same drivers that we had last week and the week before will continue to drive sentiment and price action this week. And then the question really is, you know, how far are they willing to go? Because, you know, they, they can cripple each other, really. Because when we're looking at the U.S. and China, the U.S. needs China, China needs the U.S., for, you know, to, to have maximum well-being and maximum, you know, money in each country, it's necessary. Now, I don't necessarily disagree with Donald Trump's policy of, of trying to level the playing field, if you will. China has been known, you know, to have some intellectual property breaches, and I'm, I'm saying that, you know, as an understatement. <laughs> but China have also, and that's also an understatement, be willing to sacrifice, you know, and to sacrifice potentially the lives of its own citizens over the years to really achieve what it wants. So if, if that's a game of chicken that we're playing, and if that's, you know, that's a lot of what people are saying about Trump, that he's, you know, he's trying to force them to be the one to swerve first. But knowing what we know about China, I'm not no, sure that China will do that. Knowing, and that's is why I just see this conflicts escalating more and more. Knowing what we know about both sides in, 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 in this equation, it seems as if now the trade war has entered uh, the ego phase where neither side can be seen as the one backing down, or else they risk they risk losing face, and then all credibility is gone. So, well, so Trump like did cancel or push back some tariffs back. Yeah, but so this, so he's been he's shown a willingness to kind of accommodate that. So again, the Trump, here is Trump weird. has always been you know this this uh, the art you know the On art the of the deal the, the 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 wild the negotiator being unpredictable. The question is, will China be willing to bend and really make a deal on Trump's terms? I I don't see that happening, but. If the economic pain is deep enough, perhaps that will bring them back to the table. So more volatility uh, for sure expecting in the next week. So the question then becomes, and that's a special segment that we wanted to do, what is your strategy right now for handling volatility in the markets? So first of all, first of all, a lot of this market turmoil can often lead investors to make moves based on their emotions, and that usually is never good. You res- it results in pan- panic selling, which you later end up uh, regretting. 
That's why on Friday... And it's surprising to see that we're not even there yet. Because 2.5% was not that much of a panic sell. You I know, mean, we're, we're, only down, we're only down around 5% in the month of August. When you consider all the bad news that, that we got in recent weeks, we're only down 5%. That's really not that bad. Just goes to show you that it's really hard for, for, for stocks to, to, to go down. And in terms of, uh, of the, technical, uh, uh, you know, the technical picture... What I'm looking at is, as long as we haven't breached the August 5 low, uh, which is, uh, what is it, it was 28.22 on the S&P 500, as long as we don't breach that low during the week, I think the uptrend is still there. We're still in the buy the dip uh, 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 territory in the market. We're not that far from all-time highs considering everything. And, you know, all that being said, on days like Friday, you don't want to overreact. You don't want to exaggerate. You don't want to sell, uh, you know, uh, s s some of your winners which have run up. And that's why, uh, me personally, on Friday, I didn't even look at my portfolio. I spent the day with 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 my family. I spent the I went to the gym. I did other things. I wasn't even paying attention to the markets. And it, w it was just the, the the tweet notifications that I kept getting. And I was right. like, Oh my God, Donald Trump! What is he doing over here? And but again, I wasn't looking at, at my portfolio. I wasn't overreacting, and I wasn't selling. And and I, I I tend to agree with you in that regard. I think that if you're in for the long run, right? And even if we look not that far ago, you know, we look at December 2018. You know, the market dropped. But then if you had sold December 2018, you would have completely missed a rally that's, that's of the type early of 2019. Exactly. So, so if, you're not, if you're not expert in timing the market and if you're not you know, trading on the daily and if, and if your investment you know, thesis is, okay, I'm in it for the long term, in 20 years from now, I guarantee you no one will remember Friday. We, no one will remember August 2019. We've seen these pullbacks before. We've experienced them. And it usually almost always uh, results in, in, in a snapback, you know, in a snapback move higher. That's why, for me, per, per, you know, trading is, is not a matter of predicting where markets will go, but rather reacting to current market conditions and sentiment and volatility so I'll be paying attention, like I said, to, to the lows, uh, to the August low on the S&P 500. If that breaches, I will react accordingly. But However, I will not predict where the market is going because right now I think only, only Donald Trump and Xi Jinping <laughs> know where financial markets are going next week. But to me, like, if you, if you really want to do something, and I understand that some people have really trouble staying on the sidelines and not necessarily reacting. If you do want to react... I think that positioning yourself defensively uh, with stocks, there's a bunch of good dividend stocks right now that have been growing for, you know, my stock of the week this week is one of them, and I'll get to it in a minute. But really, 30 years of dividend payments, you know, 4 or 5%, if you're really worried, that's, that's kind of what, what I'd look at right now. But I wouldn't be too worried either at this point. Again, we've seen these comments. We've seen everything. You know, it it's just repeats itself at this point. And, and and just one one last thing: check your portfolio for any names that are showing relative strength on down days. Any names that end up in the green when the entire market is down on that day, that's a name that when the market turns back up is going to be the one leading the charge higher. So, so I would even take this opportunity uh, to 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 go on a shopping spree. And, and, and maybe buy some names which I wanted to buy, which I thought that were exp on the expensive side. I, perhaps I'll, I'll, I'll long use term. this. Absolutely, absolutely. There are definitely some, some names there. Apple, which lost almost 5% on Friday, 
for 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 no good reason for the for the most part. You know, obviously there's a lot of uh, well, there's the supply chain with China, and there's a bunch of things. But but like I a said, lot of twenty years from now, a lot of overreaction. Twenty years from now, if it's not something you'll remember twenty years from now, it's not worth you losing sleep over. Exactly. All right, so let's move on. We have some data. We have the consumer confidence on Tuesday, right? We have the GDP a reading second quarter on Thursday. And we have personal spending on Friday. So yeah, with a lot, you know, a busy, busy week in, in on the economic calendar. A little bit of something there, uh, which will re reveal both the health of the U.S. consumer and the health of U of corporate America. The durable goods numbers on on uh, Monday, specifically, I'll be paying attention to to see just how business spending is actually picking up, and and or whether it's holding up, how if it's picking up or slowing down. Uh, and that will just uh, show the general trend of how tariffs are really affecting businesses and whether we're actually, uh, you know, seeing this in, in, on, on paper in a drop in spending. So, so to me, yeah, when, when we're talking about GDP, I mean, you know, we're, we've talked about it quite a bit that consumer spending is about 70% of GDP. So, yeah, we're expecting the GDP. I'll talk about it first. Some projection I've seen call for even 1.5%, which yeah, is on the really low side. I don't see that. I don't see that either. I mean, I think, I think that over the last few months, we've seen some good retail numbers from both companies and economic indicators. So there's no really uh, reason to panic yet, even though, you know, Tuesday and Friday, consumer confidence and personal spending, two very important readings at this point in time because... And negative headlines can, can kind of self-fulfill themselves and into prophecies, you know, and, and really become something that they weren't. So if, if, Main Street, if Main Street is scared by Wall Street right now, that could cause problems down the road. And, and, and just, just a note on the uh, Friday's uh, spending data that also includes uh, the PCE deflator, which is the, per, which is the Fed's preferred inf inflation indicator. So that will be something uh, in focus as well. Perhaps it could reveal uh, more uh, in terms of what the uh, what the Fed can do, will do in the months ahead in terms of monetary easing. Uh, so, so really, a, a, a little bit of everything uh, uh, on on the plate uh, this week. Overall, I think the data will show that the U.S. economy remains in a good place. Uh, the recession fears aren't justified, and we see that both in earnings and in recent retail sales numbers. I expect the GDP number to uh, surprise to the upside. Uh, well, the, the first reading came in at 2.1%. We're expecting it to be revised down to 2%. Right. Where me, I'm expecting it to actually be upwardly revised to 2.2%. So for, based on what we saw in terms of the data, manufacturing remains a sore spot. But aside from that, unemployment And manufacturing is, is actually next week. So we'll have that for next week on the agenda. And of course, we'll all look at that. But, you know, really, one last thing on this topic, one bad reading, even if we get one bad reading, not the end of the world, right? Consumer confidence in January missed, dropped. It was one of the lowest readings in quite some time. You know what happened between January and May, right? That didn't affect the stock market too much. So I think that a lot of people are maybe looking for reasons to get spooked right now. You know, the confirmation bias, you think that everything is going to crumble, so you're actively looking for reasons for it to crumble. So even if we have a bad reading, I wouldn't really, 
you know, put too much, I wouldn't read too much into it. And, and just, just the one final note on that, there's also Eurozone inflation data coming out this week that will uh, reveal just what the ECB might do in terms of uh, a stimulus package uh, in uh, September. We've already seen uh, some r rumors uh, circulate that the ECB is planning to restart QE. So that will be in focus uh, for the week ahead as well. All right, so our stocks of the week, you want to start? I'll, I'll, get, I'll get the show on the road with uh, my stock of the week is Okta. Okta is a cloud-based identity access management uh, software firm. Uh, the stock is up 108% uh, in 2019. You, you love those, don't you? Listen, the, 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 this stock has shown incredible growth, incredible growth. It reports earnings Wednesday after the closing bell. Um, revenue is expected to jump 36% from the same quarter a year earlier. Uh, we've seen the company make uh, good progress in terms of improving its, its uh, cash flow. More importantly, I'll be looking uh, to see uh, what, the, uh, what the company updates in terms of its active uh, customer uh, user base, specifically enterprise customers, uh, to see if it, can, if it can maintain its toward pace of growth. I mean... What's their ticker? It's uh, OKTA, literally, OKTA. Really? <laughs> and, you know, the stock, which settled at one at 132.46 on Friday, it's, it's got a $15 billion market cap. A lot of money is flowing into this sector. A lot of, uh, uh, in terms of, you know, where enterprises are spending their money, a lot of it goes to cybersecurity. We've seen Okta really become one of the leading names in machine learning and kind of implementing that into uh, its uh, valuation metrics. Even though the valuation might be a little bit too rich at 34 times uh, sales at the moment, I still am, am a bill, I'm a big bull on Okta and I expect a, a, a nice revenue beat from the company and perhaps a visit to the 150 range on, uh, on the stock. That's some, uh, some mighty hopes you have there for Okta. So I'll talk today about Chevron and I, I picked Chevron because you know, we, we've talked about what do you do if, if you're scared of the market and you wanna do something and we've, and we've said that you know, positioning yourself defensively might not be that of a bad idea. And I think that Chevron at the moment, you know, even though, you know, oil prices are going up, going down, I think Chevron is one of the steadiest dividends in the business. It's been going on uninterrupted for 32 years, right? 32 years of uninterrupted dividend. That's always something you want to see. The yield is above 4% right now. So that's a strong yield for, you know, such a safe company. Does it have strong growth? No, it doesn't. It's not an Okta. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a Chevron. But... If you're looking to diversify into oil and you're interested in dividend stocks, I don't see how you could ignore Chevron. At the moment, it's, it's trailing 12 months cash flow is at $18 billion. It's the highest it's ever been. So even though there's volatility around and even though, you know, the oil markets may be in turmoil, sometimes Chevron is doing very, very well. It's very diversified. So it's not an upstream or a downstream. It does everything. It refines it. Whatever you want, Chevron is there. And so for me, if you're looking for a dividend stock and a strong one, I think uh, Chevron would definitely be a safe pick. Well, yeah, the, uh, the name is up uh, 6% uh, so far this year. So not, not performing as well as the S&P, but still definitely uh, uh, generating some, some returns. Well, you know, you just got to choose what you want. If you want a high growth and you want to make money on the, st on the stock appreciating, that's one thing. 
If you're looking for you know, a steady source of income that probably won't let you down in the coming years, that's something else. So it's, investing is always about picking the right stock for the right purpose. If you're looking to do something, don't buy something else. Just pick your investments, their specialized tools, and use them properly. If you do that, you'll be good. There you go. There all, you have it. All right, everyone. So that's another episode of the Behringer's in the books. Hope you all enjoyed it. We'll be back next week with uh, what I'm betting will be another crazy episode after another crazy week in the markets. We, we hope our, our advice on how to deal with the volatility helped you all because all right. fasten your seatbelts. Monday is going to be a crazy day in financial markets. And if you want to interact with us or ask us questions, you can find us on Twitter. You can find Jesse at Jesse Cohen INV. You can find me at Clem Tebow. You can find the Bell Ringers podcast at bellringerspod and investing.com at investing.com. Rate us wherever you're listening. Oh. Tune in, subscribe. And we really want to hear your feedback. So if you have any, come at us. All right, everyone. Have a great week. May we'll see you next week. May the trading gods be with you. <laughs>